This is a Burn FM podcast. This is Let Her Finish with Steph and Becky. Hey, welcome to Let Her Finish. I'm Becky. And I'm Steph. And this week we're talking about sexual health and sex education and contraception and all those exciting things. (laughs) We're going to do this every single week and we're just talking about how we do this every single week. We're going to kick off by talking about how rubbish it is in schools and how rubbish it is in the education system because I don't know about you Steph but sex education at school for me was just, I don't think it really achieved that much to be quite honest. (laughs) No, I the everything I've learned has been through social media and like growing up with friendship groups more than it has been in a classroom setting, which considering the whole point of those lessons was to educate us and make us feel safe. I mean, okay, the basics was covered, but the nuanced stuff definitely, definitely was not taught well. No, and I think what most people end up taking away from these sex education lessons isn't okay here's how I need to protect myself or here's what a healthy relationship looks like or here's kind of the places I can go to get help more than anything we just saw a whole bunch of photos of horrible STIs and like it felt like it was there to scare you more than anything else and just put you off ever going near like the entire topic of sex because of the horrible things that could happen if it went wrong I mean I understand why they did it because they were trying to like enforce the importance of condoms and things like that makes sense Mm. but also if I think back to his lessons I cannot tell you which picture was which STI or how you treat it or any of those things I just remember seeing these absolutely like gruesome awful pictures which is obviously they've given us the worst case scenarios Mm. to scare us as you say but education wise I mean nothing was achieved I don't remember what picture went with which STI I just remember being horrified Yeah, and this is, it kind of feels like a scare tactic though in my head because again I, I couldn't link them to the correct like STI and you just had a whole group of if we imagine this is early secondary school so say year seven to year nine to have a whole bunch of like teenagers giggling at the back of the classroom because there's a picture of a penis on the whiteboard like you don't achieve as much as you could because you're kind of catastrophizing or taking things to extremes rather than sitting people down and trying to have a sensible discussion and that is partly because of the age that everyone's at. I understand it though to an extent because obviously you know they can't pre- pretend that that age group aren't aware of these things like Mm. if you just leave these lessons for when people are already 16 it's kind of too late so I get why it was done that early on but I think the way like the way they went about it was wrong for sure I think the earlier you start education the more those lessons and those like important pieces of information will be ingrained in people's brains when the time comes that they're like necessary Mm. I think there's things that were left out perhaps or were overdone so I do think the STIs part of all of this was overdone because that to me is all I really remember and it's not something that was particularly helpful it wasn't okay like here's what can happen here's how to fix it here's how to prevent it it was like oh look at these scary images and just don't let that be you instead I remember having one hour in my entire like secondary school sex ed experience on healthy relationships and that was in my head the most important hour that we ever had but it was an hour and by the time you settled the class down and got everyone focused and asked them to do an activity or describe a healthy relationship or describe an unhealthy relationship the hours up I think that definitely could be expanded on so what were they talking about in that lesson it was kind of asking us to evaluate 
what we thought a healthy relationship was and what some warning signs were in terms of what we might see in our friends or what we might see in a partner that would be kind of like a big no. So like people came out with the obvious like not being able to spend time with their friends or people being controlling or manipulative, all of that kind of stuff. But I think that did more for everyone in the class whether they realised it or not, then sitting at the back of the classroom, seeing all these horrible photos, because you kind of treat sex ed in a way as a lesson that you can really like not pay attention and have a mess around. Whereas when we were split into groups and asked to do an activity and actually asked to think about something and put forward ideas, and it was, I think, a bit more valuable. And I think that also would have been a really good place to lead into consent with, which is a topic, again, I definitely believe is under-discussed in sex ed at school. I mean, I was I was asking because we never had a lesson on healthy relationships I mean I'm like admiring that your school offered that even though it was only an hour we definitely didn't have that I think the closest we got was during PSHE lessons the nurse was just so adamant on like if you if you feel like you can't talk to your boyfriend about stuff come see me like I don't have to tell anyone like that's kind of how unhealthy relationships were taught to us was like you can still come and see the nurse rather than here's the signs and here's what to do but in terms of consent as you say that actually for us was probably the thing that was kind of ingrained the most but I think you know it was mostly ingrained because it was like we were I remember we got to A levels and we had a lesson on it and it was like if your girlfriend's under the age of 16 like that was how it was taught taught to us it was in that capacity rather than you know consent in other um kind of scenarios and I think everyone in the country gets showed that video of the tea bag comparing it to consent and like asking if someone wants a cup of tea and all Mm. of that (laughs) It's a good analogy. I very much appreciate it because I think it puts it in terms that you cannot pretend you don't understand. I remember being shown a couple of like videos of sort of party situations where somebody would be passed out on the couch or that kind of thing. But they were always like, oh, we're going to have a big assembly in the hall, like an entire year group and everyone has to sit there and watch it. And at the end, the message would generally always be like, this is a bad thing because you can be punished for it. Not this is a bad thing because it's a bad thing. And as long as the message gets across, that's fine. But I think more emphasis needed to be placed on the fact that it was a bad thing because it was a horrible thing to do not it's a bad thing because you could get caught and something horrible could happen that education and that like mindset does start really early on in terms of the like video setting just quickly going back to that um, video of asking someone if they want a cup of tea and if they're asleep they don't and if they're unconscious they don't and all of this I remember so we would show that in school and it was shown in like this positive light of it's really simple consent is a really simple thing it doesn't you know it doesn't have to be awkward it's very easily achieved And then criminal law in first year, um, we were showing the video again and our lecturer was kind of explaining how, you know, as good as that video is, it's also problematic because it's simplifying consent to the point of kind of neglecting to um, address the significance of it. Mm. And I think that is something that's overlooked in school because there's so much emphasis on consent, which is, of course, really necessary. But it also kind of I don't know about you, but we weren't really taught anything further along the lines of what if you don't give consent and, you know, what do you do in those scenarios? And I think, you know, these videos that obviously are helpful and beneficial, um, they do simplify things, I think, a bit too much. Mm. It's, like, it's a really complex thing to think about when you especially when you take it into law and you have to look at sort of 
pass judgments on what people have actually decided and what has happened because it's difficult to figure out sometimes the exact events that have gone on I don't know whether when you're start like kids that are, say 12 13 14 you don't want to overcomplicate it too much so I can see why they choose videos like that and I think they are worthwhile showing still but the overall impression I get from a lot of the sex ed lessons that I had was that they never showed the whole kind of full length story they picked the bits that they thought were most worthwhile which is fair enough because like our PD lessons at school were like an hour every week an hour every two weeks so they had to be really choice about how they spend the time but then not kind of following through on that and just saying like consent's important get consent and then leaving off of like the sort of mental and physical consequences of somebody not getting consent or the legal process and how much of a toll that can take on um, everyone involved and the cost of that and the consequences and it's um something that I think is really really important to teach and you can't rely on people's parents teaching it everybody has different attitudes within their own household of how they're going to approach matters of like sex and relationships and consent and stuff like that so I think there is a bit of an onus on the education system to take this under their remit and say okay this is how we're going to make sure that every child is equipped and knowledgeable about things that will have a lifelong impact if they go wrong. No I agree completely and I think just on your point about how you know the school obviously couldn't tell us teach us absolutely everything in the full detail that we may have wanted I do think you know as much as I appreciated those videos on consent I'd have really liked to see a video on how to tell someone you don't want to give them consent and how you move forwards in that sort scenario and show you know especially men there's a really interesting point here though about all of the videos I saw none of the women had agency in them because it was always a woman passed out on a couch and a guy taking advantage exactly and I I just think like I don't know if anyone's watched I May Destroy You on iPlayer but that show taught me so much and just you know about you can get halfway through things and say no and a situation can de-escalate in a really healthy and calm way or it can go the other way but kind of like you know in those lessons where we're being taught about how to ask someone for consent I think it should also have been taught how to move on if you don't have consent like it doesn't have to be this really horrible kind of tense situation it can be completely normal and healthy like the conversations you can have after that obviously it's not somebody removes consent it's not necessarily something that you've done you need to be able to recognize that there are like a whole plethora of reasons why somebody might want to and then the conversations you have after that need to be healthy and supportive and not really investigative and pushy on the topic of TV shows that I think really help, Sex Education on Netflix is genuinely probably the most incredible thing I've ever seen created in this area of discussion. I mean, we both love it. I Honestly, that show should just be pre- like part of the curriculum in school because mm. everything and more that I wish I would have learned at 14 was there. And every character had a completely different journey. I remember one of the characters, um, and this is just a spoiler, so heads up, but one of the characters was going to the counsellor being like... I don't want to have sex with anyone. What's wrong with me? And she was like, there's nothing wrong with you. It's completely normal. And I hadn't seen that shown on a TV show before that people who don't want to engage in that at all, it's normal. And it genuinely, what you're saying about each character having their own story, I think was really important because everybody had kind of a different background or a different experience that was not picked apart. That's the wrong term, but like examined within the context of the show and different people would go to their friends or to the guidance counselor or to their teacher 
coaches or their like partners about the issues that they were facing and it was really really just it was nice to watch teenagers get to know themselves in a healthy way and when things weren't healthy at the start it was nice to watch how the show like explored them facing their issues and becoming much more comfortable in themselves and much more comfortable in who they are and it does cross into some of um, the things that we're talking about in terms of harassment as well it was nice to see a group of women sharing their experiences again this is a bit of a spoiler but um, sharing their experiences and supporting each other through experiences of harassment and fears about going into certain public places or um, taking public transport so I think the show as a whole did do a really good job of opening up these conversations and say look there are all these issues and all these issues are different for everybody but they exist so here's how we're going to talk about them and we are going to talk about them we're not going to be quiet no I agree and I also again a quick spoiler but I also really appreciated seeing the moms and their kind of relationships and the breakdown of that and how they kind of looked after themselves just because that kind of thing is never portrayed ever on television I think this is the very first time I've seen that ever and it just you know it helps you remember that the image we have of 40 50 year old middle-aged women is these like you know their youth's gone they're kind of that adventurous side of themselves is gone because they're old their moms like they're past their sell-by date if you will but it was it was just really fun to watch and to be like it's normal and you know we don't talk about any of this stuff ever yeah definitely that shows a shows like this is so important creating a sense of normality and saying everything you're watching here is normal it happens to other people and you can see yourself in the characters which during edu- like sex ed at school you can never see yourself in any of the situations that they're talking about in any of the photos that they're showing they can try and normalize things as much as they want but they never succeed whereas in a show like this they've really nailed the normality and the like relatable aspect I think it's because like in the lessons at school we were always presented the worst case scenario and the most like stressful scenario and of course that is the reality for a lot of people but for most of us kind of leading up to that there's a lot of just nuanced unspoken awkward conversations that you don't know how to navigate and seeing Mm. it all brought to the front and in a show like sex education is so important and it just it makes you kind of laugh because it is a really funny show but it also just makes you feel like someone else is like me yeah definitely it is really cringy really (laughs) really cringy like I have to shut my eyes through some of it because I just think oh god how can you say that (laughs) it's yeah it's quite embarrassing to watch but it's a really really good watch and I'd recommend it if you can take a look at it please please do one of the things that I also remember being taught at school is kind of about the different methods of contraception. So they sit us all down and say, okay, well, you can use, obviously everybody use a condom and they try and teach you how to put a condom on like a cucumber or a dildo or whatever. Um, the pill, they take you through, they don't really take you through that many types of pill. They just say there is the pill. Um, <laughs> and then coils. And they never told us anything about like the patch or the injection or anything. Cause I guess those aren't like the main forms of contraception. So I guess we've got kind of the main three. We were actually shown the injections and the patch and everything else. And we, but I, the one thing I didn't enjoy about this, so you were only shown like the main three. We were shown everything under the sun in one hour that I left those lessons thinking, I do not want that weird little paperclip thing up me. And I don't want an injection. And I don't really understand what those pills are because there seems to be 5,000 different combinations and they have awful side effects. And Mm. you have to take them within an hour every single day. Like it it was so, I don't know, the way it was presented to us was like a thousand and one things. It just, it felt so complicated. And also for 
those lessons interestingly enough we were separated again so it was just the girls in those rooms in that room interesting so mm. I genuinely believe that that is not a good way to teach contraception because in terms of sex and consent and all of that kind of stuff everybody needs to know what's going on in these situations when you're in a relationship or having sex with someone it is a good idea to know whether they're on contraception what contraception they're on and like the consequences that that contraception can have so if your partner is on the pill you need to be aware of the effect that that's having on them as a person and the kind of taxing nature of taking that and the commitment they have to make to take that and also just the consequences of like skipping a pill or the fact that you can still get pregnant on any form of contraception I think it's something that everybody needs to be aware of because it's kind of it's underplayed quite a lot it's kind of like oh, are you are you on anything and then that's just accepted and that's fine but there's a whole lot more going on in the background than just that it's really interesting though that most contraceptive devices are built for women yes and it's gonna make me sound really weird but I don't think I'd trust a guy if they said I'm taking a pill if there was a male pill because for them to say that I'd have to obviously trust them immense amounts because there isn't really that much of a consequence for them if something goes wrong whereas for me like I then have a child (laughs) and I have to figure out how I feel about that whereas I would trust myself more to make the decision that affects my own body I think this is a tricky one because in my head I'm like no I also wouldn't trust someone else but also I'm angry that all of the onus is on me So, you know, you can't have it both ways kind of thing. But also, I think this is a consequence of a society that's for centuries put all of this on women, that the idea of it being on men is just so unnatural to us that we don't have any trust in it at all. You know, I don't know, I'm also like, I wouldn't trust men. And I don't know if that makes if that's a good thing to say or not. But it is the truth. And I think, as you say, it's because there's there isn't really as, as huge a consequence for them as there is for us. No, and you hear all the time about guys that will refuse to wear condoms because it doesn't feel as good or oh it just doesn't fit or like they create issues in their minds and give themselves reasons why they can't wear a condom and if that's their attitude to wearing a condom that in my head is their attitude to most contraception it's a weird thing for me to sit there and think like there are guys that would rather get a girl pregnant than have sex with a condom Mm. their priorities are way not in line it makes me quite uncomfortable that that's something that creates an imbalance in that sexual relationship then because then the onus really is is on the woman to put something in her body whether that be a pill or an IUD or an injection to make sure that she doesn't get pregnant refusing to wear a condom is a massive red flag and I think it should be taken as such unless there is some like reason like a latex allergy or something like that that's fair enough but if your partner says I will not wear a condom because it doesn't feel as good please just sit back and think about what they're actually asking you to do on their behalf like that's serious and my favorite quote says red flags are just wavy stop signs so you know Mm. think very hard about it and I think also this is what I was going to pick up on earlier was that I don't think men always understand the significance of what they're asking of someone of their partner when they say they don't want to wear a condom because Mm. have men ever had to go like is it so normalized for them as it is for us that you just change your entire hormone balance for this purpose and it's not just for a week it's every day of your life for as long as you're on the whatever contraception you choose so you know the significance of that is something that men won't ever be able to fully understand and again it's just important that these conversations are hard the difference between like a, a physical method of contraception for example like a condom or a non-hormonal coils which can cause 
caused like serious internal issues if put in wrong or removed incorrectly or anything like that. But hormonal contraception has such a permanent massive impact on people's lives. I know people that are scared to come off their hormonal contraception in case their entire personality changes again. And it can have effects like lack of interest in sex. It can completely ruin your sex drive. It can result in like depression, anxiety, mood swings. Your chances of getting um, blood clot related issues or um, like heart related issues go up so, so much. The list of side effects that you, well, I don't know if anybody else reads them, but when I went on the pill and I read every single side effect, oh my God, it's long. It is such a long list. In terms of blood clots as well, this is quite relevant to some of the recent like news hysteria regarding the vaccines. The rate of um, blood clots seen in the AstraZeneca vaccine is significantly lower than the rate of blood clots seen in um, conjunction with the use of the pill. I've been seeing it shared like all over people's um, Insta stories. And again, of course, it's only ever on girls' Insta stories, but you know, and um, the rates of the AstraZeneca vaccines, so there's three in one million people with the vaccine develop blood clots whereas five to twelve people out of ten thousand who take a contraceptive pill develop blood clots so it's significant it's hugely 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 significant and i think it angered a lot of us when you know the scaremongering that happened because of these really really low levels of blood clots and no one says anything about like people all over the country taking these pills on a daily basis no one bats an eye at this and um on the one hand i will say i do appreciate that the science behind the vaccine is paying such attention to details that numbers this low are causing a stir it is reassuring because then you know they have thought through every possible thing with these vaccines it is reassuring to know but it's also like no one cares about us getting blood clots it's just so normalized now i think the consequences from contraception are just sort of shoved to one side and everyone just says well if you want to have sex without getting pregnant you just have to do it suck it up basic consequences have your blood clots have your depression and then just deal with it and you're not just taking these pills three months either a lot of the time it's like a long-term thing but just just on a practical note i mean earlier you were talking about other contraception like the coil and stuff even if it does get fitted well the experience that women put themselves through or people with vaginas put themselves through by going to the doctors and having those appointments and you know it's nerve-wracking it's not normal it's not the most comfortable setting even at the best of times it's not the most comfortable setting all of those experiences aren't really accounted for because it's just seen as your responsibility and the same with the pill even if you have a perfect experience with the pill you're still the one going through the doctor's appointments having to keep a track like track of it all and knowing the timing every single day it's it's still a task I think there have been improvements in being able to access these services because they are important. We sort of sit here complaining about them, but they are really, really valuable and they do help a lot of people with sort of their day-to-day life. They can be really valuable in, in relationships where your health or safety is a bit more in danger. So contraception and the availability of contraception is a really, really valuable thing. And we're in Birmingham, so the sexual health service that we have access to is called Umbrella. And it's really well run, in my opinion. It's so easy to access. Access. their website is really well laid out and really easy to navigate and I think one of the services that is most beneficial is free STI kit testing at home it's such a valuable tool to have access to and I know that a lot of other regions will offer this as well and whether it's done in quite the same way I don't know but you literally send off for a kit it arrives you do the kit at home it's pretty easy they like have all the instructions and stuff in the box then you pop it in the post box and you get a text with your results and stuff and especially 
especially in sort of the university community, I think this is just incredible that they are able to offer this kind of service because for a lot of people, it will make a really, really massive difference to be able to get tested easily, discreetly with no financial cost and services like that as well. When you know that if things were to get worse, they would still carry on providing the level of care that you needed um, and directing you to the right services and the right charities and the right um, doctors and stuff like that. It's very reassuring knowing that the care is out there in a positive and accessible way. I agree. And just the point on, you know, the service being so discreet and you don't have to worry financially about accessing these um, services. I'm part of a program that um, deals with campaigning for people with PCOS and the program focuses a lot on Asian women's experience with sexual health, but also kind of recognising that in a lot of other cultures and religions, you know, going to a doctor for a woman to do with sexual health is a very, very, very different experience to what, say, Becky and I would experience. And, you know, services like Umbrella, where it can be discreet and it's free and you can take these tests at home, you don't have to tell anyone you need to go to the doctor. It is beneficial in a lot more ways than I think most people will be able to realise because we don't face the same problems these other cultures and religions do, where, you know, everyone in the family has to know your whereabouts at all time, for example. So that's just another benefit. The work that these organisations carry out is really helpful, especially in within the context of, say, like domestic violence cases or controlling partners, because to be able to get tested so easily and also to access help for other issues, for example, access to the morning after pill over the counter from pharmacies, that changes things a lot if you're going through something that you can't control or somebody is being manipulative or violent towards you. Accessing these services really protects your health more than you realize and no I think it's really important because also if you're you know if you're going to regular doctor's appointments because you need pills or morning after pills or whatever it also flags up those kind of behaviors behaviors to a doctor and a doctor can ask questions and find out if you need help because if you're not telling anyone else in any other setting but you are going to get these pills you know a trained medical professional can help you this feeds really well into the emphasis on like healthy happy sexual relationships early because being able to talk about things and discuss things and have access to resources like this not always out in the open but a lot more freely than perhaps say 10 20 30 years ago makes such a big difference to how people are able to go about their daily lives there's slightly less stress i would say there's more freedom and openness and being able to talk about these things and learn about these things and having access to all of the different websites and resources on google as well means that you just have a wealth of information at your fingertips so you can educate yourself more where the school system perhaps failed you. I agree and I also think this as much as we were complaining that all of the responsibilities on women it does also have a beneficial side in terms of giving women more agency because as you say you have access to so much information you can have more control of your life and I think it kind of maybe subtly but it kind of relates to how recently we've been seeing you know a very much needed and necessary kind of dismantling of the image of women as you know not promiscuous and not allowed to be sleeping around whereas men can sleep with however many people they want Mm -hmm. to and having this agency and having this control of your health kind of is another way of allowing you to have as much fun as you want or like yeah it's just allowing you to live however you choose to and it helps break down those images of you know women being these pure innocent angels which I think is a really good thing it's such an old trope like I get where the stereotype has come from but I'm so relieved now that it's something that is being dismantled because it that kind of attitude and the opinion that women can't go around and have relationships 
relationships with who they want to have them with or sleep with who they want to you still see it you still see it in the language of people being like oh she slept with this many people she's such a hoe that's not great in general we should all be trying to limit language like that because it's harmful on a wider level not just about the person you're talking about but the fact that I'm hearing that less and I think people in general are just a lot more happy to go out and enjoy themselves and figure out what they want put themselves first a little bit enjoy their lives rather than trying to cater to the needs of a partner if they have one or some stranger that they've just met it's really valuable and I think that change is such a positive change no I agree it's kind of like I don't know in our setting at least I hear discussions of a person's body count very often and it's always a woman's body count it's never a man's Mm. and I appreciate that this allows that to become obsolete because also when a man's body count is mentioned it's usually oh my god like whoa mainly from other men they're kind of like subtly congratulating them or whatever but a woman's body count is a lot more scrutinized and a lot more like oh that's not very many or like whoa that's a lot what have you been doing like it's not a healthy thing to care about that much and it feeds into the topic of virginity as well because a lot of emphasis is put on oh you're still a virgin at whatever age what's the point they're both just examples of patriarchy at work because it's patriarchy that facilitates a body count of a woman to have the capability to make her desirable or undesirable Mm. and it facilitates men praising other men for the higher body count and it facilitates virginity having such an impact on the desirability of a woman again bottom line it's none of anyone else's business (laughs) and if it's something that you and your friends enjoy discussing discuss away but just please be careful about how you talk about it it shouldn't be a number these people that you're listing off are people they're not just some sort of like trophy that you get to bring home and add to a list they're people treat them like they are people Within the context of everything that's happened in the last couple of weeks as well, sort of a re-evaluation and a reopening of the conversation regarding assault and harassment of women, I think it's also really important to consider that the people that are most likely to assault and rape and be violent towards women are people that they know. And this is often their partners or their spouses or their boyfriends. So within the whole, it's really great to have access to all these things. It can enable a really healthy relationship. Make sure you're talking about it. We have to acknowledge that there is also potentially sometimes a darker side to sexual relationships that are incredibly terrifying and scary if you get into this situation and you don't know how to get out and uh, like we'll include some um, resources and helplines and stuff in the caption for this video but things like the terms upon which you have sex are changed if a condom is taken off for example like a lot of people I still come across don't realize that this is actually rape if you change the terms upon which you are having sex or engaging in like sexual acts and they do something without your consent that changes the situation completely that is rape from a legal perspective on this specifically with condoms being taken off halfway through sex and the person with the vagina not being informed the case that kind of made this law was called Assange and the Swedish Prosecution Authority in 2011 which basically allowed conditional consent to become valid in English law and what happened in the case was a woman agreed to have sex with a man on the basis that he wore a condom and he did not and this was held to be rape so it is law <laughs> like it's legal as in if you don't you're facing a rape sentence and this is where those earlier videos from lessons when we were 14 of like make sure you get consent consent is so much more nuanced than just yes or no because 
because taking a condom off might seem like it's not the same as saying, no, I don't want to have sex with you, but it has the same consequences. And this is where the education system needs to really do more. Yeah, it's like it's definitely not a black or white thing. Asking somebody like those videos kind of suggest that you should sitting down and say, do you want to have sex with me? And then getting a yes before everything kicks off. That's not a permanent yes. That's not an indefinite like assurance of consent. Consent can be removed at any time. And so you could 30 seconds later remove consent and that's completely okay and it should be completely okay you can remove consent half an hour like at any time and the sort of ability to do that isn't addressed quite as well as i think it should be and i think on the flip side of this as well talking about seeing all those videos with like women having a lack of agency or being passed out at a party or being overpowered men can be sexually assaulted too and men you have just as much right as anybody else to provide and remove consent from sexual act please don't forget that this is an equal thing this is always meant to be an equal thing please don't feel pressured into doing anything just because somebody has told you that you should or that they want to if you don't feel comfortable doing that you are also allowed to say no at any point and I think this point specifically now that you're saying like men too because I think that's something that's addressed even less than women in these situations because patriarchates look down on if you're not up for things it all links back to the importance of those first lessons when we're in school because addressing this in those lessons of saying anyone can say no 30 seconds later and here's how you have these conversations and here's how you make them healthy and normal and comfortable for everyone involved that kind of lack of education is partly of course not wholly but it has a part to play in the role of the people women are most likely to experience violence from being people that live with them Mm. because those conversations aren't taught to us when not taught how to have them comfortably yeah i do think that too much emphasis is put on consequences of sex before you've even spoken to the like to children or teenagers about the actual communication and interpersonal relationship itself yeah if i could reform one thing about sex ed it would be the relationships and the communication and like the actual discussion about it rather than sort of the consequences of all the horrible things that can happen and just on the point about men also being able to retract consent at any point just as much as a woman can Um, I kind of wanted to point out I think part of what plays into this is that as important as it is that these conversations about rape and sexual assault are being had for female victims and about the system that doesn't listen to them and all the rest of that it is also important to acknowledge what men face in this scenario because the system isn't built perfectly shall I say for them either Um, specifically I wanted to address the fact that women cannot actually be charged with rape and I know That sounds problematic, but it is because in order to be charged with rape, you need to have a penis. So in the eyes of the law, women cannot be charged with rape. However, they can be charged with assault by penetration, which has the same prison sentence. So I think, you know, the word rape has its whole image, has its whole discussion behind it. Everyone has their own views on it. Something like assault by penetration is is, is not talked about. The only way I've ever heard about it is in a legal setting. I haven't heard about it in other conversations, but I just want to make it known that whoever the abuser is, they face the same consequences, whether they're a woman or a man. And I think that kind of assurance needs to be given to men as well when they are in these situations, because you don't hear about women 
women causing this kind of violence to men as often as I'm sure men experience it. And I just want to say that the legal setting, at least, although problematic, prison time's the same. In order to make it better for everyone involved, there needs to be quite an open discussion that accepts that everybody can experience the positives and negatives of relationships and sexual relationships. Because part of the stigma of men coming forward and admitting these things is that the patriarchy has built them up to be strong authoritative characters which means that society puts pressure on them to not appear weak and approaching your friends or the authorities to say this has happened to me can often appear quite intimidating because you don't want to appear as something that society says that you shouldn't be so really there are the conversations that would help everybody in these circumstances are just open frank discussions about healthy relationships it's about every side of this addressing it together because it affects all of us whether you know as much as legal systems built for men by men it also isn't because it's built by men who embody patriarchy and don't show weakness as you say and that's how we sit with these consequences of men who don't feel comfortable coming forward. On a slightly brighter note to end this episode though, I think it is important to appreciate that the government are trying to take steps in the right direction in terms of relationships, sex education, violence against women, women's health, all that kind of stuff. So Becky and I both took part in the survey, the Violence Against Women and Girls Call for Evidence survey that was put out by the government where you can kind of share your experiences and have your voice heard. And that was reopened on the 12th of March. And it ran initially for 10 weeks in December until February. And I read a stat that was said, that said in the first time it ran, it had, I think, around 10,000 participants. And the second one, which I think is still ongoing, I think you can still submit answers to it, had over 70,000 people come forwards. And, you know, of course, everything that happened with Sarah Everard's killing happened in that time. But just you can take part and you can have your voice heard. So progress can be made and it's just more important really than anything else to make sure that the conversation remains open and that it continues. I think that's everything for this week. We talk for <laughs> like, so long. We talk for so long, but we don't really go into incredible, incredible detail because there's just so much to say. And there are so many more things that we could have talked about in terms of sexual health and relationships. And um, yeah, there's loads and loads and loads. But if there's anything that you guys want to hear, as discuss or anything that you want to bring to light we'd very much appreciate suggestions of any kind if you have any topics that you think we could really do with discussing please please tell us you can yeah. tell us on our instagram page it's at let.her.finish but for now thank you for listening bye this is let her finish with steph and becky